We're back in Romans chapter 8, obviously, and we're going to pick up actually where the last two verses where we left off last week in Romans chapter 8, verse 26. And we're going to start with verse 26 and 27, where we also talked last week. We talked last week about knowing about how the final state of the earth and how about the, the new bodies and about the final state of our bodies can give us hope when going through suffering. And then we close with verse 27 and 26, 26 and 27, talking about how the Holy Spirit puts the same effort, the groaning that we put in, that we exert having to go through sorrow and suffering. And the Holy Spirit puts that same effort into speaking to the Father on our behalf. And we're going to pick up today at 26 and we're going to go down through 30 for our passage today. So Romans 8, 26. In the same way, the spirit also helps our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we should. But the spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the spirit is, because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For those he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. And these whom he predestined, he also called. And these whom he called, he also justified. And these whom he justified, he also glorified. Lord, may you bless the reading of your word. May our hearts and our minds be open to what your Holy Spirit has for us today. May these be your words and not mine. We give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, in, uh, in Romans chapter 8, we've already looked at the fact that the, the, he, Paul has been dwelling on this thing of we are in this world and we have to endure both the suffering and the glory of being adopted as God's son. And that in the middle of this suffering, he has given us the Holy Spirit who last week we found out goes to God on our behalf. And that's and where we're picking up today. And today, as we read this passage, what we're going to see is that everything that happens to us, including the suffering, is part of God's will for our lives. And when we think about God's will, it's one of those things that every Christian kind of at some point in time has probably said, well, what is God's plan for my life? Why am I here? What is it all about? And I don't think it has to be this big mystery. In fact, I don't really think it's most of what it's most of the time when we think about it, it's focused mostly on, you know, do you want me to take this job or this job? Do you want me to move here or move here? And, and God has a much bigger plan than that. And today I want to kind of look at this and see basically what is what is God's will? How does he help us find it? And what is his focus about? Because that's really where he's going with this. And the first thing we see here is that the Holy Spirit's role in this is to align our will to God's will. Because we are not naturally going to want it a lot of times, especially when it has to deal with suffering. And so the Holy Spirit comes along to align our will with his. It says in, in verse 26, in the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness. For we don't know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us. With groaning too deep for words. Now, if you look back at verses 15 and 16, Paul has already established the fact that in the Christian life and in our relationship with God, the Holy Spirit is integral to us 
having this relationship with the Father. And here he expands on it by showing that the Holy Spirit goes to the Father. In verses 15 and 16, it says in Romans chapter 8, For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. So at first, we know that the Holy Spirit is sitting there reminding us and telling us, hey, you're God's child. You're, you're adopted by him. You don't have to fear all this stuff you're going through. Now it says, not only is the Holy Spirit speaking to us and reminding us of this fact and encouraging us in this fact. Now it says the Holy Spirit is actually going to God on our behalf. And even when we don't know how we're supposed to pray, even we don't know what we're supposed to pray, he goes to God and says, you know what, that guy down there stumbling around who doesn't know how to pray correctly, this is what he needs, God. This is, Father, this is how you need to take care of him. This is what your plan is for his life, and this is what you need to bring into his life in order to accomplish that plan. Because that's what it's all about in this passage. Um, it's interesting that the same word, that the, the word here where it says in the same way the Spirit also helps our weakness, it's only used one other time. Uh, that Greek word is only used one other time in the whole New Testament. And it's used in conjunction in, in Luke chapter 10 in the story of Martha and Mary and Jesus. Now, if you remember what's going on in Luke chapter 10, Jesus is over at the home of Mary and Martha, two very dear friends of his. And, and he's there with his friends and Martha is kind of the, the, the take care of the home person. She's, she's out there cleaning and cooking food. She's setting the table. She's doing all this stuff. And she lives with her sister Mary. And guess what? Mary is sitting over there by Jesus listening to Jesus teach. She's learning from, from her Lord. And, and neither one of them was doing wrong. But Martha got a little upset about that. And in Luke chapter 10 verse 40... Martha, it says, but Martha was distracted with all her preparations. And she came up to him, Jesus, and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? Then tell her to help me. And so the word there is, is literally, it's Martha coming to Jesus and saying, you know, Mary has a responsibility and it's to help me, to come alongside me, to carry her weight, to do her part. And literally, the word means to take hold at our side, not to pull us along, not to push us along, but to literally come alongside us and help us while we're moving through this life. And so the Holy Spirit, it talks about when we're going through this life in our weakness, when we uh, the weakness of suffering, the weakness of not knowing how to totally we don't know what we need. Sometimes the Holy Spirit comes alongside of us. And helps us from inside of us to God himself saying, this is what this person needs. And I'm going to help you in this journey. So that's the role of the Holy Spirit there. Um, the uh, the uh, New American Standard Bible, the way it translates this, for we do not know how to pray as we should, is exactly what it is. Uh, there's, a, there's other translations. I actually usually read the New International Version. And it says... Um, for we do not know what things we should pray for. That's not really a good translation for this. It's not just about what you pray for, but it's literally how you pray. 
a lot of times we don't even know how to approach God because we don't, we're not holy like he is. We don't know what the best thing to ask for is. So it's everything from how we approach him to what we pray for to what we bring to the table, which is nothing because we, we aren't good enough to approach him. Yet the Holy Spirit goes to God on our behalf and says, this person is one of your own. You have adopted him. You have adopted her. This is what you need to do for them, even though we may not always think it's the best. So um, Ephesians 6, chapter uh, Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 18 also talks about this. Um, and it talks about praying in the spirit. It says, with all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the spirit. And with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. Now, why do I read this? All through scripture, you'll see this thing about praying in the spirit. And we've tried to make it, you know, sometimes we've tried to, I think, kind of read into this more than what's really there. And so we've tried it. Well, maybe this means that we're supposed to be speaking in tongues when we pray. And, and maybe this means that, that we, we're supposed to have this miraculous encounter. And we're always supposed to, if, if I feel God's presence really good, that's praying in the spirit. I think what praying in the spirit is, is literally just being a Christian and praying. And because we have the Holy Spirit inside of us, God, go, the, the Holy Spirit, who is God himself, goes to God the Father on our behalf and is there praying for us and interceding for us and speaking to God on our behalf. That's praying in the Spirit. That's as simple as what it is. And to make it any more than that is not to truly understand what prayer is all about. Because there's nothing that we can do to be good enough to enter God's presence, but yet the Holy Spirit does it for us. And so it's all about God and His Holy Spirit working in our life. Um, Verse 27, as he goes from here and he says, the spirit helps us and intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Why is he able to do that? Verse 27 says, and he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the spirit is because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Here's the first place we see this whole concept of the will of God. You see, when we pray, obviously, we're trying, to, we want to pray according to what God wants us to have. But don't we go to him a lot of times asking for things? And the answer is not always yes, is it? Whether it's physical, whether it's um, mental, emotional, relational, whatever it is, you know, we don't always know God's will. But because the Holy Spirit knows what's inside of us, he also knows what's going on with God the Father because he is God himself. He knows both sides of the situation. He knows the end from the beginning. And so when he goes to God and he intercedes for the saints, he's doing it totally in accordance with God's will. Therefore, even when we might be praying for something that we don't, you know, as much as we may not like it, God's answer is, no, that's not good for you. The Holy Spirit knows that. And so when he's up there talking to God on our behalf, he's saying, you know what? Ben Howard's praying for that down there. Don't listen to him. That's not what he needs. He needs this instead. And he's not going to like it, but it's good for him. So that's that's the role of the Holy Spirit there as he does this. Now, why? You know, Psalm 139, one through six is an amazing passage that talks about how we are known by God. Psalm 139, one through six. This is a psalm David wrote, obviously. It says it's a psalm of David and. I love this passage. It says in Psalm 139.1, it says, O Lord, you've searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You understand my thought from afar. 
You scrutinize my path and my lying down and are intimately acquainted with all my ways. Even before there is a word on my tongue, behold, behold, O Lord, you know it all. You have enclosed me behind and before and laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's too high. I cannot attain to it. How well, how is the spirit able to go to God on our behalf? It's because he knows us better than we know ourselves. He, th- Psalm 139 says that he knows our thoughts before we even think them. He knows what we're going to say before the words even come out of our mouth. You know, as parents, you can know your kids really well. But you're still not going to know them as well as God. And as much as we think we know ourselves, don't you find yourself sometimes thinking things and going, why did I think that? Where did that come from? Uh, You know, do, do you ever find yourself saying, why did I do that? That's not that's not me. That's not who I am. God knows us from the inside out. And sometimes we can fool ourselves and we can fool other people. But we can never fool God with who we are because he knows us better than anyone else. And so the Holy Spirit is able to intercede for us because he understands who we are. And he also knows God's will and plan for each one of our lives. Um, Karl Barth wasn't always the greatest theologian in some of his beliefs, but he said an amazing he said an amazing thing about this passage that really struck stuck with me. He said that God here makes himself our advocate with himself because the Holy Spirit is God going to God the Father that he utters for us that ineffable groaning so that he will surely hear what our we ourselves could not have told him so that he will accept what he himself has to offer. Basically, the bottom line is God goes on our behalf to God and says, this is what he needs. And what a great thing to know that we can go to God with any of our requests. And yeah, we may not always know if we're asking for the right things. And we may not always know if we're doing it the right way. But guess what? God knows. And he's there on our behalf, talking to God the Father every single day. So, he, he starts off and he's heading down this path of knowing God's will. The Holy Spirit takes our will, aligns it to God's will. Now, how do we know, what do we know about God's will? He's going to go in here, he's going to talk about the fact that God's will for us is always for our good. Now remember, this is in the context of you're going to have to go through some suffering. And I can guarantee you when you go through some suffering, the first thing at the front of your mind is not, this is great. I love this. It's not. But in the middle of it, if we can see verse 28, it will help us through a lot of it. Verse 28 is a beautiful verse that most of us have probably heard. And it says, we know that God causes all things, all things. That means the good, the bad, the ugly, the horrible, the amazing. God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God. To those who are called according to his purpose. Now, is everything good? As in, does it feel good? Absolutely not. There's a whole lot of stuff on earth that does not feel good. And the more that you have to experience that, it can get harder and harder to look at that and say, Yes, God, I see that you mean this for good in my life. But if we can come back to this passage and know that the Holy Spirit on our behalf is going to God and saying, this is the perfect plan for this person's life. This is what you want to create inside of this person. 
And you're going to use these circumstances to make them into the person that you want them to be. To, to accomplish the purpose that you have laid out for them. Then it becomes easier to get through those times when it's not easy to do what God has called you to do. Everything is not good. But God uses the totality of everything we experience to work good in our lives and to transform us for his glory. 2 Corinthians 12.9. In 2 Corinthians 12.9, the background of this is Paul has just pointed out that, that he, has, he has what he calls a, a thorn in his side. There's this, this thorn that you've given me, that, that it, 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 he, and he prays three times and says, God, take this away from me. I, don't, I can't deal with it. It, 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 it. We don't know what it was. It could have been physical, mental. It, it, we think it was probably something physical. And he says he prayed three times that God would take it away, and three times God told him no. But in the middle of that prayer, he, he gets a promise from God. And it says in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, he said, He said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. We sang, we sang that song this morning, Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound. And grace like rain pours down. You know, everything about our salvation and everything about our life is about God's grace. God's undeserved and unearned favor and kindness towards each one of us. And in our life, Paul is saying, you know what? Yeah, it would be better. It would feel better if God would have taken this thing away. But in the middle of that pain, Paul had the voice of the Holy Spirit saying there, no, I'm not going to take away this pain, but my grace my favor and kindness towards you will allow you to get through this. And in, that, in doing that, you're going to see the power of God in your life in ways that you could never experience without this. Think about what kind of power Paul had from God in his life. Here was Paul, a man who was murdering Christians on his way to Damascus when God got a hold of him. And that same man was used by God to spread the gospel to most of the known world at the time, to start churches in lots of different cities, and beyond that, write more than half of the New Testament. That's the man who said, God, I've got this thorn in my side, take it away. And God looked at him and said, you know what? Because of that thorn, my power is perfected in your weakness. What is God going to do in our lives? Because we see something that we wish wasn't there, but God is saying, I'm going to take what you don't like and I'm going to use it to show you who I am and how powerful I am and what I can do through you if you'll just let me. So it's all about God perfecting in our lives through our weakness. Um, you know, we all go through horrible things. My dad died when I was 12 and that was like the worst thing I could ever experience. I wouldn't want anybody else to have to go through that. And I still, if I had to, if humanly speaking, if I had to change that, I would absolutely change that and have my dad there for my teenage years and be able to, you know, play sports and have my dad there and be able to see me graduate from boot camp and, and do all these different things. Um, and I have no idea, humanly speaking, why that happened. But I do believe and do trust the Holy Spirit and do trust God's plan that there was a reason for that. And that I would not be who I am today had I not experienced that. Was it hard? Absolutely. Was it something that I want my kid to go through? Absolutely not. I want to be there for my child when he's 16, 17, 18, 20 years old. But God can take any situation in our lives 
And he can use that to make us into the person, into the believer, into the follower of Christ that he wants us to be. But here's the thing. God's will is always for our good, but, and there's a big, huge but here, God's will is focused on his purpose. You see, we always try to make Christianity, I think, about me and about I. And so you'll, you know, even... Um, I love praise and worship and I love singing songs and stuff, but, but sometimes we find ourselves singing songs that are all about, you know, I will do this and I will do, when really our relationship with Christ is all about him. There's nothing that we can do. There's nothing that we can earn. Um, and we sang about this morning, the last song we sang, above all, when he was on the cross, he thought about me, but he did it to bring glory to himself. And when we focus on the fact that it's not about me, it make, you know, that God's got a bigger plan and a bigger purpose, then it makes it easier to get through those times when it's so easy to look and feel sorry for ourselves and feel like the world's falling down around us and, oh me, you know, where is God in the middle of this? Well, God has a plan and a purpose that is bigger than one person. It, uh, it, the, the end of verse 28 says, to those who are called according to his purpose. You see, God saved us. God chose us. God made us, made us his own. But it wasn't because we were so good. It wasn't because we were deserving. It was all because God loved us so much and wants to show his glory through our lives. And so he goes on in verse 29 and he says, and, and the interesting thing here is that as he ends these last couple of verses is that we see here salvation as a complete process from beginning to end. And he's going to go through the past, the present and the future to show how God's will is accomplished in each of our lives through the work of the Holy Spirit. And so he says in verse 29, he says, for those whom he foreknew. He also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. Now, the first thing I thought when I read this was this is why Gunnar wanted me, asked me to originally I was supposed to preach this last week when he first asked me to preach. And I was like, this is why Gunnar asked me to preach this week, because he just doesn't want to talk about predestination. Um, but then I, that was my first thought. And then I thought, OK, well, obviously that's not it. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but uh <laughs> You know, we can get all wrapped around these terms of God foreknew and he predestined and then you bring in election and all this other stuff. But here's the bottom line. If you know Jesus Christ, you are chosen by God. He has chosen you to be his own, his son, and he's adopted you as his own. And God describes his relationship with us as beginning before we were ever born or conceived or ever a gleam in our parents' eyes. If you look back at Jeremiah chapter 1, Jeremiah chapter 1 and verse 5, this is the call of Jeremiah. And different calls in the Bible are different. Like when a person is, is, is told, you're going to do this job, you're going to do this ministry, there's a lot of different ways that God showed like the clear, his clear leading. For Paul, it happened while he was Saul of Tarsus on his road to Damascus, and it was a huge bright light, and it was this amazing, miraculous thing where he, God took a sinner and said... Um, you're now going to serve me for the rest of your life. And he was amazingly saved. For Jeremiah, though, it happened, he was already following God, and then God came to him. And it's interesting the way that God worded this to Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 1 and verse 5 says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. 
And before you were born, I consecrated you. I have appointed you a prophet to the nations. He's saying, Jeremiah, before you were even born, I decided you were going to be my prophet to all the nations of the world. That is an amazing thought. That before we were born, and I don't believe it was just to Jeremiah. Because there's another passage in here. If you, uh, um, there's, there's other passages that where God knew us before we were born, before we were even thought of, he knew what his, his plan was for your life. And if you're in here and you know Jesus Christ, God chose you and made you his own and decided that you were going to be his own before you were ever born. And that means that he's never going to let you go until you reach glory and you are fully there, visible with him for all of eternity. And so this choosing is for far more than just establishing a relationship, but it's with the goal and the result of the relationship in mind. You know, it says here, for those he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son. Now, most all of us know that he saved us so that we would we could go to heaven. But that wasn't really the reason why he saved us. He saved us so we could become like Jesus Christ. So we could become more and more like Jesus Christ. So when we get to heaven, we can fully appreciate the glory that he has waiting on us. Because we've experienced his power and his presence in our life on a day-to-day-to-day basis. And that's kind of where he's been going with this whole passage, right? As he shows the Holy Spirit working in our life, making us and conforming us more and more to Jesus Christ. And the whole reason that he chose us as believers, it says he predestined us not just to get out of hell free and go to heaven, but to become conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. In other words, Jesus Christ was only the beginning. And we as adopted brothers and sisters of Jesus Christ, if we let the Holy Spirit work in our lives, become more and more and more like Jesus Christ. So when we get to heaven, we're brothers and sisters with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And all of us are there as a big family. And Christ was the firstborn, but all of us are part of his family. We're part of the big tribe, the the church of Jesus Christ. And so this choosing has a result of the relationship in mind. 1 John 3, 2 says, Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet appeared what we will be. We know that when he appears, we will be like him, because we will see him just as he is. You know, I can't tell you exactly what the Lord's perfect, the acts, the, the will of God is for your life individually as far as, you're to take this job. You're to move here. You're to have this many kids, etc., etc. But what I can tell you is God's plan and God's will for every single believer is that you look more and more and more like Jesus Christ. And that every day when you wake up and you go through your life, you let the Holy Spirit work from within, speaking to God on your behalf and coming alongside of you to walk with you so that at the end of the day, your life looks more and more like what Jesus Christ's life looks like when he was here on earth. Are we going to do that perfectly? Absolutely not. Because going back to chapter 7, that that I want to do, that's what I don't do. That's what I don't want to do, that's what I find myself doing. But the more that we allow the Holy Spirit to work in us, the more we resemble 
that goal that we're trying to reach. And so it's all about the Holy Spirit working inside of our life. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 5 through 11, kind of points out again what, you know, about the fact that it's all about what he does, not about what we can do. You know, we always try to think that it's, you know, sometimes we get this attitude of, okay, well, I've got to be like Christ. Well, then I've got to work hard and I've I've got to do this. And when we fail, it feels even worse because it's about me. And everything that I've tried to do and it didn't work. When it really, it's all about God. In Ephesians chapter 1, uh, verse 5, going to verse 11. It says, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself. According to the kind intention of his will. To the praise of the glory of his grace. Which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses. According to the riches of his grace. Which he lavished on us in all wisdom and insight. He made known to us the mystery of his will. According to his kind intention. Which he purposed in him. With a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of the times. That is the summing up of all things in Christ. Things in the heavens and things on earth. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will. Here's the thing that I noticed in that passage. Not once did it say anything about me. But it said everything about the fact that God has chosen me. He has predestined me to look and act like Jesus Christ. And that at one, some point in time, he's going to bring me face to face. And that ultimately... Our adoption as sons and as daughters of Christ will pay off because we will be there with him in glory. And that's what it's all about. Um, The purpose, and and I I said before that sometimes we can get wrapped up around these terms. And and there's nothing wrong with that. And there are various interpretations of what predestination means and God's choosing us and and all of this. But here's the bottom line. No matter where you fall out on the spectrum between a Calvinistic interpretation or an Arminian interpretation, the bottom line is that God has chosen us and that choosing entails that we're supposed to look, that he is trying to make us more like Jesus Christ. And that, and, and yes, we can disagree about maybe the timing or the aspects of certain, certain points of view there. But the bottom line is anyone who knows Jesus Christ has been chosen by him. And that's all that I think Paul is trying to get across here. Um, the purpose of what he is working in our lives is for us to be conformed to Jesus Christ. It's not our happiness or our worldly or financial success. You see, if we start looking at Christianity in the way that some, um, some stuff that's even passed off as Christianity in the United States, if we start looking at as that where, okay, Jesus has saved you so that you can then uh, get all your prayers answered and have the biggest house that you pray for and the nicest car and have all your bills paid for and all of that, well, guess what? We're going to be sorely disappointed because that's not why Christ saved us. He saved us to accomplish a much bigger purpose than making us rich. And it wasn't about our worldly or our financial success, but about his purpose working in our life. And for some, that may mean becoming a multimillionaire and being able to do things with money that most of us couldn't even imagine. But for the majority of us, it's probably going to mean that we work a job somewhere, make a living and take care of our families and share the gospel by the fact that we go to work every day and live our lives reflecting the Holy Spirit who lives in us. And works his way out of us towards the world around us. And we become that light and that salt in a dark world. 
That's God working his will in and through us. And so he didn't save us so that he could give us, so that he becomes the magic genie that we rub and get whatever we want. He saved us so that he could show who he was through the life that we live in the world every day. And it is through sharing in his sufferings that we are made more like Christ. So remember this whole passage is kind of focused on sufferings. Well, if the goal is to make us more like Christ, and we know we're going to have to go through these sufferings, then there must be a point to the sufferings. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, it says, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. Once again, there it is. We're going to have to experience the same type of suffering being conformed to his death. You see, if ultimately God's plan is to conform us to Jesus Christ, he saved us in order, he chose us in order to be conformed to Christ, then everything that he brings into our life, including the things that are bad, are there for one reason, to make us look more like Jesus Christ. And in the middle of those things that don't seem to be for our benefit, can we look around at those things and say, God, you've used this to make me more like you? Whether it's patience, forgiveness, kindness, love, mercy, all those fruits of the spirit that are talked about where it says, but, you know, these are the fruit of the spirit. And we're told to put more of them in our life. Many times it takes the bad things in life to be able to create those things within us. Um. The problem comes in, in that it's really easy to say that when you're not in the middle of the circumstance. It's much harder to think that way when those bad times come. And one thing I would encourage you to do is whenever those times come in your life where you're looking at, you know, I don't know if I can get through this. I don't want to go through this. This is bad. Think back to those times you've already come through. And see if there's something that even if you didn't handle it well as a human being, is there something that God did in your life because of that circumstance that you could say, you know what? I don't know if I would be this way today if it wasn't because of that circumstance back there. You know, it's, it's easier for me to see God's hand moving in my life at 37 years old than it was at 20 years old. At 20 years old, I was just like, no, I want this. I want this. This is where I'm going. This is why I'm going there. And all of a sudden, a door would slam in my face and it'd be like, wow, well, that seemed like the right thing to do. But God had a much bigger plan. God had a far better job than the one I just lost. God had a much bigger uh, schooling in mind than when I left and said, I'll never do anything beyond a bachelor's degree. Well, guess what? I want you to be a chaplain. You got to go get a master's degree. I don't want to do that. There's a bigger plan. There's a bigger purpose. And it's easier sometimes to look back as we gain some age and say, yeah, Lord, I see where you were working there. And that can help us when we find ourselves in the middle of these circumstances and we wonder why we're going through these things. So he conforms us. And, and, and you know, this is all done, once again, coming back to the work of the Holy Spirit. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, Justice from the Lord, the Spirit. Um, this verse is kind of the similar to the one we looked at last week. The fact that right now we only get a glimpse of the glory of God. But God's whole goal in this world, the whole reason we have the Holy Spirit, 
is so that he can, whatever little glimpse we get of God's glory, he can transform us from within and make us to reflect that image. Now, will we perfectly do it on earth? No. But one day we will see him in glory and we will be with him and we will be like him. The Bible says, because we shall see him as he is. And that's where he's taking us to. And that's where he ends in verse 30. When he says, and those whom he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. Because it started way back here before we were born. When God said, I'm calling you to be my child and to look like Jesus Christ. And then it came up into this middle part where it says, those he called, he also justified. And, he, he, and you, didn't become a, you became a Christian because you felt God's call in your life where you said, I know I'm a sinner and I know I can't do anything to save myself. And because of that, he justified you. He declared you not guilty, even though all of us are guilty sinners deserving of his punishment. And then... He's going to keep us and hold us by his strength and through his power with his Holy Spirit until one day we have a glorified body in heaven for all of eternity with him. The interesting thing here is that he uses this word called. And to me, this is really important because too many times we as Christians, I think I kind of grew up with this idea that a calling was to the pastor. A calling was to the music minister. A calling was to the the person who is going across the world to be a missionary. But you know what? A calling can be to the com- computer science industry. A calling can be to, to, to be an athlete. A calling can be uh, to work in a newspaper. A calling can be to work in the construction industry. A calling can be wherever God has placed you at. A calling is not, there's no special calling in my mind to stand up here and be a pastor. Your calling where you are called to go into your work every single day and share the light and the salt of Jesus Christ is just as important as what the pastor does on Sundays when he gets up and shares the word of God. It's a different job, but it's the same calling and the same Holy Spirit. We are called to share Jesus Christ and to share his light. And so to any Christian who doesn't know that they're called, you are called. I can't tell you exactly what the specific will of God is as far as the individual job. But I can tell you his will is that you go forth and you obey that calling. And if nothing else, all of us are called to, as Matthew 28, 19 and 20 says, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you and baptizing them in the name of the Holy Father and Son of the Holy Spirit. And so when you go to work tomorrow, that's all the world. And when you see your family that doesn't know Jesus Christ, that's all the world. And wherever you find yourself, that's all the world. And we're called to make disciples of all that are in the world. And ultimately, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. It talks about the fact that each one of us is called to have a part in the body of Christ. And, uh, you know, just like we're not, we all have our own individual ministries in Ephesians chapter 4. He says, therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in the manner worthy of your calling, worthy of the calling wherewith you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. There's one body, one spirit, just as you were called into one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Every one of you is called. 
And every one of us, as the body of Christ, is to fulfill that calling every single day. And then ultimately he ends here with the fact that it's not about just what happens here on earth. And isn't that a great thought? Because you are going to go through times of suffering. But once again, he doesn't leave us stuck in the suffering. He leaves us stuck in the fact that, look forward to the fact that one day all this suffering is done. And no matter what you face here on earth that isn't fun to go through, ultimately the end is not the suffering. The end is not even looking like Jesus Christ here on earth. The end is a completely new body glorified in heaven for all of eternity where we don't have to face suffering, where we don't have to face pain, where we'll never face another loss, we'll never shed another tear, we'll never face any more grief because we will be in a glorified body because he has promised that those he called, he also justifies, and those he justifies, he also glorifies. So now we get nearer to the end of this chapter, and next week what we're going to see is that if he calls us and he promises that he's going to end us up in glory, that his love is never going to let us go, and we can never get away from it. And what an awesome thought that he's going to end this chapter on. And through it all, in this process of suffering, we can see that it's about God's will being accomplished in our lives. His will that came about before we were ever born, that continued when he justified us and he made us his own, and will continue until one day we see him face to face in heaven. And that through it all, no matter what you're going through today, God has a purpose in it that is for your good. It's not easy to see when you're in the middle of it, but he has planned it for your good for your betterment, to make you a better follower and a better reflection of Jesus Christ. Not because the circumstances are good, but because you will become better through them, more like Christ, and that no matter what we face on earth, we are certain of the glory that will come at the end. So what is it you're facing today? What is it that you need to look back to Christ for and see that he's bigger than all of this? And that he has a plan and he has a purpose in all of it. Let's pray. Lord, there's so many things that we can go through on earth that seem at the time to not be for our good. That seem at the time to be hard and painful. But Lord, we know that you have planned everything in our life for our good. And that before we were ever born, you planned that we would look like Jesus Christ, that you chose us to look like Christ, to reflect him to the world, and to ultimately become your child at home with you for all of eternity. And Lord, we just pray that as we face these circumstances in our life, that you would help us to see your power at work, that we would feel your, your Holy Spirit working and moving in us as we reflect your glory to those around us. We give you the praise and the honor and the glory for it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.